This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's um, Pasha's Koirach. Very easy Pasha for a rabbi to speak about. Because it's about Machlaikas. There's always something to say about Machlaikas. Um, I first want to thank everyone. You know, last week we spoke about that. Um, Baruch Hashem, we finished the book. Um, it's going to be out. We figured it out this week. It's going to probably be out the like, second or third week in August. Um, this is my first book together with um, Rav Shimon Finkelman. But it's turning into a whole initiative. It's called the Hakara Satov Initiative. Like I have nothing else to do with my life. This is, but I feel very much that, that Hakara Satov is the basis, um, the basis of everything. The first thing you say in the morning is, um, is Modani, is, is thank you. And, um, every relationship in the world is based on, on, uh, on gratitude, um, on appreciation. Really, the word is really like appreciation. So we announced last week that, Baruch Hashem, I, I'm, I'm finished my first book. We're putting it together now. And that um, it's, it's written, the way it's written is like a lesson a day. That's how I did it because I wanted to be taught in school as a subject also. And uh, I feel also that if every single day a person opens the book, they learn one lesson uh, in Akar Satov. So we did dedications, like they have dedications every single day, right? There's two dedications. Why two dedications? Because the book has 178 pages. There are 354 days in the Jewish calendar. So every, so it's a two cycle. So, if you learn it twice, so it'll come out, that page will come out, let's say day one will come out, Echad B'Tishrei, and then six months later, right? Echad B'Tishrei, Chavrin Kislev Tevishrat, Echad B'Adar. So, so every single page can be learned twice, so there's, there's, there's a dedication, only one dedication for each day, um, and there are 354 dedications, there are 354 days. So, just from me speaking last week, and I gave them my number in, uh, in Arnava. Um, Baruch Hashem, we got 20 dedications. So we already got 8%. We already got 8%. Um, the, the problem with the dedications is that once someone dedicates that day, we can't give it to someone else. So it's really first come, first serve. Um, what? The guy that always comes, he said, you know, I don't know. If he's oh, okay, fine. Yes, I'll announce it. So, so whoever wants to dedicate, it should be for a simcha. Or for Lili Nishmas, the yard side, or for whatever it is, you gotta hop now because once that date's gone, we can't sell, we can't dedicate that day because somebody else took it already. So we have these 354 days. Whoever's interested in dedicating, it's $360. If you want to give more, you can always give more, but it's $360 and, um, you have the dedication of your name. Of course, you want to dedicate the whole book. It's a little bit more than that. It's a lot of different dedications. All the money is not going to me. All the money is going to help Ornava and, um, and Benochaya. So we already have a new number, a new number, a number for, uh, Karasatov Initiative. So whoever's interested, I'm gonna say it on, on, on camera. The number is 917-444-7555. 917-444-7555. If you can't remember that, just call Ornava, O-H-R-N-A-A-V. I'm extension 15. Leave me a message. 917-444-7555. Of course, if you dedicate, you get a book, you get a book for free. I'll write something nice in it. Um, anyway, so we're very, very excited. I, I, it's, 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 I think it's a, a life changer for Claudius Roll and, um, for relations and your husband and wife, if you appreciate, have a cross the toe for each other, you gotta have shalom bias. If you appreciate your children, your children appreciate you, you appreciate Hashem. It's, it's the basis of a, of a relationship. We know in the Chumash, in the Torah it says that when he was a kafli tov, when Adam was a kafli tov, and he was, he was not appreciative, just the opposite, Hashem said, you're offar, you're, there's no potential. A person who doesn't appreciate has, has no, is not going anywhere, has no potential. So, this is a book of potential also. And um, we're very excited. There's also another book coming out at the same time, which we put together, together with Yona Weinrib, which was really what started this whole thing. I happen to have a copy of the of the of a model of it that we ha- I have in the car, but it's called the Sefer Zechronos, and it's modeled in the in the in the, the book of 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 Zechronos and memories. It's um it's it's modeled in the Achashverosh's book. That, you know, the king's book where he used to write everything and that's why Mordechai remembered that Mordechai did him a favor and, um, 
So that's a that's a super book because I don't know if you know what you're in a winery. You're in a winery is the one who does all the most beautiful manuscripts. We decided that he also gets a mazel tov, but we he got engaged. We decided that he's going to do a special kriyashmalamita so that when you when you open this book at night before you go to sleep and you're saying kriyashmalamita. So you, at the same time, you can write, or again, it's a book with, with 354 pages, and you can write into this book with a gold leaf pen, if you feel like you're Mamish the King, um, and you can write in it things that people, or Hashem, whoever, did for you that day, one or two or three lines, and, uh, and you come Rosh Hashanah, you open that book, Sefer Zechreinais, of all the good things that people did for you, or Erev Rosh Hashanah, you'll, you'll see that, oh my gosh, I never, this girl, she might have saved my life, I never told her thank you, I got a call her before Rosh Hashanah. It's it's a it's it's an unbelievable book, and it's it's every single day. And on that day, it'll have all a lot of other information. He would date the English date, this manim and all that. But um, my dream is that thousands of people will have this book at the end of the year, full every single page of good things that happened to them, that were done to them, and um, and they'll take it Rosh Hashanah to shul with their machzor, and they'll say Hashem, this is a book that I wrote, and it's called the Sefer Zechronos. And in my book, only good things, only what, what people did good things are in my book. And thank you. So you can open my book in Shemayim, on Yom Roshanim Kippur, and you can only read the good things in my book. Because the, the Sefer in Shemayim, right? What does it say in, um, in Sadataikif? That Hashem opens the book, right? What is that book called in Shemayim? Sefer Zechreinos. The same name. As the one that, that Achashverosh had. So if you have your own Sefer Zichronos, so you say, Hashem, don't open, don't open the one in Shemayim, open the one that I have here. It's a, it's a very powerful, very powerful tool. It's coming at the same time, I hope, with Hashem. As the Sefer on, on Hakar Satov. And then we're working on an app. Even though I'm not so crazy about an app, because an app works on a cell phone. But there are people in this world, because of technology, they don't know how to write. Because they're so used to texting. So they don't even know how to write. So they're going to look at the book and say, uh, I don't know how to write. If I could text, I would do this. So the people who have an excuse that if I would text, I would have such a book, I'm not going to give them an excuse either. So we're working on an app right now that's called the Hakara Satov app. It'll be on your phone. You push a button and you have this diary, this sort of diary where you can just text in whatever happened that day. And on top of that, you push a button and automatically whatever you wrote in, let's say, you know, uh, my mother was unbelievable today. I didn't deserve it. And she was, she took me shopping, whatever it is. You push a button and whoever you wrote about, it reads the name and it sends it on you from your phone to that name. So that your mother was going to sleep at the same time as you or in the morning opens up her phone and it says, thank you, mom, for taking me shopping yesterday, even though I didn't really deserve it. So it's very all connected. So I'm not leaving any excuses for anybody out there not to have a Satov. So there's a, a diary type of book, there's a book on Hakar Satov, and there's an app, and we're going to really push this um, this initiative. It's called Hakar Satov Initiative, and we're going to really push it, really push it hard. Okay, now that I said that, that's my advertisement. Um, any of the money from the book, the app, or anything else that we have is all towards Ornava, Nateras Nava, and Benul Chayetz. I am not taking any of the money from any of it. I'm not interested in the money from it. So at the same time, you're giving tzedakah and you're helping us, you know, spread this Hakar Satov initiative. So, I was at a parlor meeting this week. Uh, a parlor meeting for my, um, for my high school. And it was out of town. It wasn't here in New York. And somebody came over to me and said, I, I have to ask you something, right, Wilson. You know, you have this high school. For these girls, you know, and they're not dressed sneers, and half of them don't keep Shabbos. Why are you spending all this time and money on them? You know what? They, everyone has problems. So they decided to throw off their Yiddish guy, so you have to open a school for them, and, and we have to raise money for them. I have to give you money for them. Let them get over it. This is what this person has no understanding whatsoever. He says, why shouldn't I support a good girl? Why shouldn't I give money to a good girl? Why, why you ask me to come here tonight to give money for these girls who are not keeping Shabbos, who don't get dressed correctly, who talk terribly? I don't want to give money to such a place. So first of all, why'd you come for? Right? He came to give me a, give me attitude. But what he didn't know was 
that that night at the at this, I was going to come and explain exactly the answer to his question. So I said, you know what? Don't give me any money. I don't want any money. Not a penny. I won't take a penny from you. But I want you to sit and listen to my speech. Okay? So I wear Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin. So when you're by mitzvah, you get Rashi's tefillin. Unless unless you're Lubavitch, they wear Rabbeinu Tom already from from uh, and Svadim also wear Rabbeinu Tom sometimes from when you're by mitzvah. Rashi tefillin is is the ikker, and then there's an extra tefillin if you want to wear it. It's Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin, and you you put that on after davening. You have to learn Mishnayis and Chumash and and halacha. So. It wasn't, it's not my minute, I'm a Yekka, I'm a, I'm, we're German, we're Ashkenaz. Ashkenaz does not wear a middle time stone. My father, Lashon, when he was, when he became 50 years old, so, he told his Rav, who was Hasidish, he said, I'm 50 years old, I want to take on something, I want to take on something new. Something extra. So he said, you should wear a middle time stone, you know, Mr. Walston, you daven very slowly, you don't talk by davening, you stay after davening anyway. Because Rabbeinu Tom to wear his tefillin and, and just wear it and take it off would be a busha, would be an embarrassment. So it would be nice to take on Rabbeinu Tom. So my father went out when he was fifty years old on his birthday, and he wore Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin, and he wore and he wore Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin when he passed away like seventeen years ago. So nobody was wearing his tefillin, his Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin. So I said, you know what? I'll start wearing Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin. <coughs> so I started putting on Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin. When you put on Rabbeinu Tom's tefillin, you have to learn. Let's say Kriyashma Ashrei. You have to learn some, some, uh, Mishnayis, and you have to learn Halacha. So I started Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, when I started putting on the tefillin. I started learning Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, one little chapter, one little verse a day. So, it happened to come out that last week, I'm almost finished, I'm almost finished Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, last week, I learned something that I found very fascinating because I never knew it's Halacha, I, I know that it's the right thing, but I didn't know it was Shulchan Aruch was Halacha. And then the 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 Paula meeting was Monday this this Monday night. Monday morning, when I put on my Beno Tom's children and I opened up my kitchen Shulchan Aruch, where I was up to was like Hashem sending me a message that because that was the day that I was speaking at this Paula meeting. Exactly what I learned is what I repeated at the Paula meeting. So I'd like to to read you both of them. So this is this is this is Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. If you want to look it up, it's um, it's Perak 184, 184, Sif Ches. And this is what it says. If you see your friend in trouble, Rachman al-Litzlan. Right? You see him in trouble, Rachman al-Litzlan. And you could save him. If you yourself could save him, or you're not, you don't know how to talk to such a kid. Right? Kid's a street kid, he's not, this, this girl's not doing well, and you're like, ah, I can't, I can't really talk to her. She's not gonna listen to me. So, either you yourself, or to hire other people to save him. You are obligated to trouble yourself, to either save him yourself, or hire someone to save them. The Im, now, let's say the parent of this kid, you hired, but the parent of this kid has money, so why do you have to pay for it? So he says, if the person, if, you, if, if he has the money to pay, then you have the right after you pay to ask him for the money. But let's say the person doesn't have the money to send this kid to rehab, doesn't have this money to send this kid to school, doesn't have this money to get this, to send this friend to camp. If the other person doesn't have money, doesn't give you a right to refuse to help that person. So you have to save him with your money. Right? If you withhold, and you don't save this person who's in tzara, you're doing an avera, you're over the mitzvah in the Torah, you are not, do not stand idly when the blood of your neighbor is in danger. So a person, and this is what I was telling to this guy. In other words, you're saying, hey, this girl, you know, why do I have to save her? What, what I have to do? Why do I have to do anything? Shulchan Aram said that if you see your friend in trouble, you see someone in pain and you don't help them, you're over and avail a samar al damriyach. The chain, he says, and also, im shama me'ezi 
Let's say you hear a group of kids, a group of bad kids. They want to do something bad to this kid. Right? And you could stop them. And you could change. You could change what's in their heart, what they're going to do to this kid. And you don't stop them. You cannot stand idly when the blood of your neighbor is in danger. And he ends off, a person who saves one soul, it's as he saved the whole world. Where is this said? That if you save one nefesh, you save the whole world? Is it said in a Muslim Seder, Sefer? Where is it said? It said in Mesechta Sanhedrin. It said in the Gemara. In Mesechta Sanhedrin, page 37. It's a Gemara that says that if you save one person, you're saving the whole world. That's what I learned last week. Now I want to tell you what I learned Monday morning. And I was screaming and yelling at this parlor meeting. And I said the following. It's hard to scream and yell when you're sitting. I was standing. It says the following. This is, if you want to look it up, it's in the chapter 189. This is what it says. I learned it that morning. Somebody who meets his friend in the street, Bederech. Uvehemto and his animal, this other person's animal, it collapsed because of what it was carrying. Whether it was carrying a normal weight that it should be able to handle, or it was carrying a crazy amount of weight the, the owner put on it, and that's why it collapsed. Doesn't matter if it's the owner's fault or not. How is it mitzvah? Every person is commanded to help this donkey to unload it. And after you unload this animal, you can't leave your friend sitting there with his animal on the floor, right, in pain, and just leave him. You have to help him repack the animal, help it up, as it says, huck him, tuck him. But let's say, he says, what, this is my problem. This guy has a chamori, he has a donkey. It's not my donkey, it's his donkey, it's an animal. Go buy a new donkey. So your donkey's broken. So go buy a new donkey. Or, you shouldn't have bought, I should help you? I should stop now, get out of my car, or whatever it is, get off my horse, and help you? You overloaded the donkey. It's your fault. Right? Says the halacha. You have to help him. If you walk by and you say, ah, I don't have to help him. You're over on a, in a, in a positive commandment. And two Averis you're doing. As it says, you shouldn't look at your, the, the donkey of your friend that's, that's broken down and not help him. So I, so I said all to these people sitting at this parlor meeting, I'm like, this mission, this, this halacha is talking about an animal. It's talking about a donkey. And it's saying over here that if, that if you see a donkey, right, that's broken, that's overloaded, that maybe it shouldn't have broken down because it was loaded normally, or some fool overloaded it. You see a kid who's subrachin. You see a young girl who's broken, who's depressed, who you can tell is, is broke down under her load. You can't say, well, it's not, it's, it, you know, they shouldn't, the parents, they're dysfunctional. It's an abusive home. It's a dysfunctional home. So what do I have to help them for? It's the parents' fault. So over here, it's the owner's fault that he overloaded the donkey. Right? But now luck is you can't say it's your fault. You gotta bend down, you gotta unload the donkey, Get him up, reload the donkey, walk with him, and make sure he doesn't fall down. Al-Achaz Kama Bakama, how much surely, if you see a Jewish child, or any child, broken beneath the load that it's carrying, that you have to stop and unload that child, and help that child 
reload, help that child through school, help that child through therapy, help that child through whatever she wants. This is a donkey. This is a halachi and a donkey. Surely a human being, surely a Jewish kid, surely you have to help. I said, so were you asking me a question over here? Like, why do we need to help them? We should help the other ones. No! The Torah is not telling you to help the donkey that's walking on the way and carrying its load. The Torah is telling you, help the donkey that's broken. You have to stop and help the donkey that's on the floor that can't get up. Let me say you have to help a donkey that's, you know, walking down the street. You know, pull him along and help him. You don't have to help him. The ones that you have to help are the ones that are tzibrochen. And then the next chapter, just another two words. So it says, okay, but what happened? What's my chiv? Like, how many times do I have to do this? I unloaded the donkey. I loaded him up. We start walking. Boom. He collapses again. I mean, I, I got to go to work. I, I got to go to Davin. I got things to do. Right? So I, I say, okay, we'll try it one more time. I unload the donkey. I reload him a little bit less than that. We get him up. We walk two steps. He collapses again. Have a nice day. You got a broken donkey here. Right? No, says the Shulchan Aruch. Parak, Vitan, Vachazav, Anafal. You helped unload, you helped reload, and again he fell. You have to do it again. A hundred times. This donkey just keeps collapsing. And I keep taking up more weight, and he keeps collapsing. You have to continue doing it even a hundred times. He says, even when he starts to walk and everything looks good, okay, good, goodbye, I'm out of here. No. You have to walk with him for a mile. Shema Yitzchaklo. In case the owner of the donkey might need you again, maybe he's going to collapse. Unless the owner of the donkey says, I don't need you anymore, then you're allowed to go away. So I said, this is Shulchan Arach that's talking about a donkey. A hundred times. So, you know, sometimes we help kids, and they go to, re- they go to rehab, and they relapse. That's it, I'm done. I helped her. I sent her, I sent her to, to, to rehab, and she relapsed. I'm done. I don't have to do more than that. No. A donkey that caves in a hundred times till you get him back on his feet. You have no right not to. And if you don't, you're over on two of Averis. I said, Al-Achas Kama Vakama. That's the halacha of a donkey, what the halacha of a, of a human being should be. And it doesn't mean only kids at risk. It means anybody. If you see any, any person that's broken under their load for whatever it is, they don't have money or whatever the situation that they're going through, you have to lift them up. You have to take that all off their back and you have to help them and you have to lift them up and they're going to collapse again. You have to lift them up again and they're going to collapse again. You're going to because sooner or later, you'll get them standing. And, 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 and they'll continue. Last night, right here, this room, right here, sitting right here, were 13 graduates of my high school. 13 girls that the world told them they'll never get past fifth grade. 13, 13 girls that they're on their, on their scholastic aptitude that the, that the, that the, 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 the state who tested them, right? The educational system said that one of them was, they felt was that a little bit maybe down syndrome on that on that rainbow on that on that graph she she she's she 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 graduated amazing absolutely maybe one kid if she if she she writes a paragraph by the time she graduates high school that would be an accomplishment she wrote like six papers a term so so yeah, they were right. They were sitting right here last night. Thirteen graduates. Yes, they fell. We picked them up. They fell. We picked them up. They fell. We picked them up. We said, you know what? How many times can we pick you up? You keep falling. You want to fall. You're doing all these crazy things. Yeah, the chamor is overloaded, right? It's, it's not. It's not the chamor's fault. It's even overloaded. The owner should be punished for what he did, right? No, it's not your business to punish the owner. You got to pick her up. She might be coming from a dysfunctional, abusive family. So you're going to point to them and say, "What do I have to do? You guys are abusive and dysfunctional." No, halacha is even if the owner overloaded the donkey, it's your job not, not to watch that donkey lay on the floor, but to, but to unload it. And I think that's a very, very important point. And I think a lot of people out there just don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't get the chiv of a person, the chiv that we have to each other to help each other, even when it's the other person's fault. Even when it's their fault, you still have to help them. Surely a chamar, you surely have to help a person. So, once in a while I come across these uh, unbelievable things, um, writings. Sometimes I find them in Chicken Soup for the Soul. And um, last week I came across something. Absolutely, I'm going to read it to you from inside. It's very short, but um, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this story because it's, it's a lot bigger than, than what's in the book. But um, it's absolutely fascinating, and it's very connected to 
to what I just said, and then we'll, then we'll talk about this week's parsha. So here's the story. Now, you, most of you didn't, live, you most don't know this man, but there was a guy named Jimmy Durante. Jimmy Durante was a comedian, way way back, World War II. Very funny. He had a big nose. He was a little guy. He was very funny. He was a very funny comedian, and and everybody loved this guy. And like when he would do a show, it would sell out. He was very busy. He was very famous. I want to read you a story about Jimmy Durante. So he says the following. There's a wonderful story about Jimmy Durante, one of the great entertainers of a few generations ago. He was asked to be part of a show for World War II veterans. He told them his schedule was very busy and he could, he could afford only a few minutes. But if they wouldn't mind, he's doing one short monologue, that's like one short little speech of jokes, and immediately leaving for his next appointment, he would come. So Jimmy Durante was telling them, listen, you want me to come here and do jokes? I can't. I don't have time. I'll do like five minutes, three, four minutes, but that's it. So, of course, being that he was so famous, the show's director agreed happily, okay, we can get three minutes out of you, we'll get three minutes. But when Jimmy Durante got on stage, something interesting happened. He went through the short monologue, and then he stayed. And he continued for 30 minutes. He said he was going to talk for three minutes, like me, right, three minutes, and I ended up talking for 30 minutes. So he said he's going to make jokes for three minutes, and he ended up being there for 30 minutes. So finally, he took his last bow and left the stage. Backstage, the manager stopped him and said, I thought you'd only speak for two, three minutes. What happened? Jimmy answered, I did have to go, but I can show you the reason I stayed. You can see for yourself, he told the manager, if you'll only look at the front row. In the front row were two men, each of whom had lost an arm in the war. One had lost his right arm, and the other had lost his left arm. Together, they were able to clap. And that's exactly what they were doing, loudly and cheerfully. Jimmy said, how could I stop making jokes? What an amazing thing to see, two men with one hand clapping together. It is such a godless story. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So that means the story is true because they check all their stories out. It's such a godless story. It's like my story with the window with the Lefkowitz and Friedman. It's such a godless story. Two guys sitting there, each one can't clap. They only have one hand, right? They can't clap. But they're sitting next to each other. They figured out, I can't clap and you can't clap. But together, we both can clap. That is so deep. That is such godless because many times we're in a place in life, in a darkness, in pain, that we only have one hand. There's nothing to clap about. How can I clap? Rabbi Wallace, how do you expect me to clap? You know what I'm going through? How can I clap? I can't clap. But if that person has another person who's also going through pain, so each one of them can't clap. But if there's achdus, if there's achdus between the two of them, they can clap forever. It is such a godless story. It's too short. It's like, I gotta take the story and like make it like into a half an hour story. But it's, it's, it's such godless. Such godless. There's so many kids out there that don't know how to clap. They only have one arm emotionally. One arm spiritually. But if you would come and give your hand, even if you have two hands, you give one hand to them, then they're able to clap because together with your hands, they have two hands. Godless. I, I read the story last week. I was like, well, I have to talk about this. my chamura, even though it's from chicken soup, but it's, it's, it's such, it's so true. It's so, so true. So many people are in such a dark place. If just somebody would, would, would give them a hand between the two of them, they would find, that's what, that's what Akar Sato, by the way. That's the whole thing of Akar Sato. In the darkest place, no matter what you're going through, in some of the stories in my book, you'll see crazy stories, right? Some of the stories in this book, is in the worst of times. It's Akar Satov in the concentration camp. It's Akar Satov in World War II. It's like, not Akar Satov when everything is great. It's Akar Satov, because what does Akar Satov mean? Akar Satov means recognizing, recognizing, being able to always recognize the good. So, recognize the good in rain. Recognize the good in the sun. So, it doesn't matter when you walk out of your house, what is going on, right? Being able to recognize in the darkness, it's one of the todas, in the darkness to recognize that where's the most famous Hakar Satov. What is the most famous recognition? Recognition in the dark. The most famous recognition in the dark was Yosef HaTzadik. What, what does it say about Yosef HaTzadik? 
he was sold, right, to Mitzrayim. And who, who took him down to Mitzrayim? A bunch of spice traders. So Chazal say that in his darkest hour, we can't even understand, his brothers, right, if you read the Chumash, we don't understand this. When he came to them, what did they do? They threw him into the bar. No. No, ladies, they didn't throw him into the bar. They stripped him all, all his clothing. Do you know what it means, to, what a person feels like when he's not wearing any clothing? They took every piece of clothing, including the special jacket that his loving father gave to him. They took him totally without any clothing, threw him into a pit full of snakes and scorpions. And what happened? The snakes backed off, and the scorpions backed off. They're not touching Yitzhak So at that point, they should have seen, oh my gosh, the snakes aren't biting him. The scorpions are not biting them. They're animals that in their nature would bite him. If they're not biting him, that means God's protecting him. Means maybe we're wrong. No, but that's not the way they went. They took him out and they sold him to a bunch of spice traders down to Mitzrayim. So now you have Yosef Atzadik, right? This is a Chazal. Yosef Atzadik is sitting in this, in the, ripped away from his brothers, ripped away from his, from his, uh, from his father, right? Ripped away from Kleistral on his way to a land where he's being sold as a slave. He's not going down there to be the king. He's being sold as a slave. Yosef Hatzadik, Yaakov was, you know, Yaakov Avinu was very rich, was very famous, very powerful. Yosef Atadik, his, his 17-year-old son, the one that had the jacket and the coat and the, and, 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 and the one that was chosen is now in a, in a, in a, in a, in a wagon being probably whipped, right? Because he's a slave on his way to Mitzrayim, which was known that a slave never got out of Mitzrayim alive, right? Being sold the most immoral place in the world. And he's sitting in the darkest moment of his life being ripped away from everything that he knows. And he turns to Hashem in the darkest moment of his life and he says, thank you. Thank you? Thank you because normally, Chazal says, those um, Bedouins, right, those wagons were always used to bring to Mitzrayim um, leather, or tar, I mean tar, which stunk, I mean, you know, so when they would do the road, the tar, how it smells, they would, it stunk so bad, but for some reason, this group that was going out to Mitzrayim wasn't carrying tar, even though normally they were tar traders, they had a load, a caravan, instead of, this time, instead of carrying tar, they were carrying spices. Beautiful smelling besamim. So in his worst hour, he turns to Hashem, that's Hakaras Hatov, he turns to Hashem in his worst hour and says, thank you! Thank you for what? That I'm being sold anyway. I'm going to Mitzrayim anyway that I didn't have to be in a stinky, smelly tar caravan. But instead, spices, the most delicious smells and delicious aroma. That's what it means, hakaras hatov. Able to see the good in the worst situation. Able to see the good. Recognizing the good. Recognizing that everything that Hashem does for you is good. Recognizing the good. This was, this is, this is, this is what, this is what hakaras hatov stands for. And, 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 and therefore, sometimes we can't recognize the good, but somebody else sometimes can whisper in your ear and say like, yeah, I know what you're going through, but I'm there for you. So there's something good about this because, because I'm in this pain, this other person is my friend and this other person is there for me. She, maybe if I wasn't going through pain, she wouldn't be my friend. She'd be my friend because she likes to help people. So yes, yeah, sometimes you only have one hand to clap and you need somebody else's hand to clap. And, and therefore, we all, when we see somebody that's in pain, just continuing on the Shulchan Aruch, sometimes the Taka can't clap. But if you're going to give them your hand, and you're going to be part of it, then you're going to give them the Kayach to clap. The two one hands, left hand, right hand, clap. What do they call it? The sound of one hand clapping. That's what it's called. The sound of one hand clapping. All right. Uh, enough with the mushy stuff. Now, we'll talk a little bit about this week's Pasha. So, so last week, we spoke about this mission that I was worried about teaching uh, women. Where I said, "Al isha," you shouldn't talk a lot to a woman. Kal It's talking about your own wife. Kal other women. So we explained that what does that mean? You shouldn't talk to your own wife. Everyone's supposed to talk to your wife. Any therapist will tell you that the basis of marriage is communication. Any rabbi will tell you, of course, you the, listen. You guys don't don't spend enough time to each other. So what's this mission talking about? So the mission I explained it last week. Mission says you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't talk gossip to your wife. In other words, don't come home and say this and this guy. You know what? I was in shul today and the rabbi made fun of me. He told me to be quiet in front of everyone. I was embarrassed. So then so then you know that night the rabbi will call him and say, I'm sorry, you shouldn't have done that. 
you know, come for Kiddush Shabbos. He's like, okay, no problem, Rabbi. But the wife will say, if you ever go to that shul again, I'll never talk to you again. Because a, a woman is very protective. The rabbi spoke to my husband like that? Forget it. I don't care if you said he's sorry. Not enough. I don't care if the rabbi comes on her knees and begs. You're never going to that shul again. And that's what Chazal tells us. A man shouldn't come home and tell gossip to his wife because he will let go, he will forgive, she will never forgive because she's her protector. And we know in, we know in PTA, we always tell the teachers, if the mother is coming to ask about the kid, no negativity. The father comes, you can tell him whatever you want, but no negativity to the mother. So you can tell something to the mother, she's going to take the kid out of school. My child? Because you're not a good teacher. I don't like the school anyway. Women are very possessive and very protective. So if a guy comes home and says, you're not going to believe it. You know, the rabbi said this about me. She will never forget what the rabbi said. He, on the other hand, is going to go on with life, right? And forget about it. Oh, you know what, my friend, you know what he did to me? If you ever go out with this guy again, forget about it, right? So you're messing yourself up because you're going to forget about it. But your wife's not going to forget about it because she's very possessive. Nobody can mess. This happened this week's Pasha. That's what happened in this week's Pasha. Kairach's wife... Kairach's wife, as the, as the, the story of the Medrash goes, that, um, Kairach came home. Kairach was very smart. He was very, very big. He was a great man. He came home and she asked him, what did Moshe Rabbeinu teach in Yeshiva today? And he answered, he taught that on your tzitzes, every, every third tzitzes should have a, every, every, every corner should have a blue, should have blue wool. She said, come on, blue will, white will, what's the difference? You know, Moshe Rabbeinu is just being a big shot. Every day he says that God spoke to him and he tells you something else. But why don't you go ask him if the whole baguette, if the whole thing that you're wearing is all blue wool, do you need tzitzes? And then, it says in the sweet power, what happened with the Levim is that before they did the avoid, they had to shave all their hair, eyebrows, everything. No hair on their body. And then they waved each one, tnufah. They did a tnufah each one. He comes home, she looks at him and says, you look like a monkey. Kairach, what happened to you? My husband, what happened to you? Why don't you have any hair? And he's like, Moshe Rabbeinu, they shaved all my hair off. Really? And then they waved me in front of everyone. Unbelievable. Can you see what he's doing to you? You think Hashem told him that? That he should wave you and make you look like a monkey? And she decided, this Moshe Rabbeinu started with my husband. I'm going to destroy him. And it got to the point that... She made up a whole, whatever, I don't have the story in front of me, but she made up a whole crazy story. But in the, in the end, the, and, and this you should just know about Lush and Hara. In the end, the women in Klyashrov, you, can, you can't even imagine this. Every time Moshe Rabbeinu would walk by a tent, the woman would run into the tent so that he wouldn't see her. Because there was a rumor in Klyashrov that Moshe Rabbeinu was starting up with married women. So, could you imagine Moshe Rabbeinu walk by a house and the woman would run into the house? Because the word was that he's going to mess around with any married woman. Now, could you imagine if I started up by my side where Moshe Feinstein, you should know, stay away from him, or Moshe Feinstein, he's dangerous to the women, you get, you are like, you crazy, Wallace, can you out of your mind? <laughs> the Moshe Feinstein, if he walks into this room, we're all going to run out. Or if Chaim Rav Chaim Kainesky, if you walk into this room, you're all going to run out. Right? Just after you're all going to stand up. So, how could they believe such a thing? How could Klaus and Moshe Rabbeinu was on Hasina? They saw him. How could they believe that he would that he would be over on Eishes How could they believe such a thing? So you have to hear the story. So the reason they believed it is because when it comes to Lashon Hara, if you if you say anything, right, it it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes and far from what you said is what it comes out. There's a very very famous story where this person came to this big tzaddik and said, "I want you to know that um, you have to do something about your son." He had a son that was a very big tzaddik. And he said, you have to do something about your son. He said, what do I need to do? Well, what's going on? He said, we heard, we heard, there's a, there's people are talking that your son sold, stole a Sefer Torah. He said, what? He said, your son stole a Sefer Torah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big avera. My son stole, where did you hear this? So he went to the first guy, he said, what, what, what did you say? Like, why do you think my son stole a Sefer Torah? He said, well, this and this guy told me. Anyway, to make a long story, let me tell you what really happened. What really happened was that this son, who was a big tzaddik, gave chabura. He used to give a chabura, a shir, where there were men. And he said a dvatayra, and he said that I haven't seen it anywhere, so I, I think it's my chiddush. What I'm telling you, I think it's my, I came up with. I think it's my chiddush. 
So some guy in the shir said, no, it's not your Kiddush. It's so-and-so, or Rekiv Eger, whatever Kiddush it is. So you should know that you can't say it's your Kiddush, because if you say it's your Kiddush, then you stole his, you stole, you stole that Kiddush, right? That's all he said. So, so you can't, from now on, when you say it, you have to say it in, uh, in, in Rakiva Eger's name, because it's not your Kiddush. Otherwise, if you're not going to say it in his name, it's sort of like you stole the, you stole his Kiddush, because it's Rakiva Eger's Kiddush, whatever it was. That, was. that was the whole thing that was said. Guys walked out, and where were they? He stole a Dvar, it was a Dvar Torah, and Dvar Torah turned into a Sefer Torah. So from him, this is a true story, from him saying, a Dvar Torah in his own name, which was written somewhere else and he didn't know, and someone telling him in public, listen, it's not your Dvar Torah. You, 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 if you're going to say it in your own name, it's like stealing. So it went from stealing a Dvar Torah to stealing a Sefer Torah. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, go stay away from him. You better lock the Sefer Torah. This guy's a god if he steals the Torah. That's, that's how Lashon Hara works. It can go from the most nothing into the most terrible thing. So so what happened over here? Still, where does this Ashes Ish come from? That Moshe Rabbeinu was over an Ashes Ish. It's a fascinating Chidah. And Chidah says the following. First of all, this week's parasha, right? So so every person, we, everyone in this room, everyone that came back to this world, we're all in a Gilgal. So we came back in this world to correct something. We're not too bad. We're not too, we're not too great. We're not too bad. If we were great, we'd be in Ghana. Then we wouldn't be here. And if we were bad, we'd be somewhere else and we wouldn't be here. So we're here, we're baining him. So why are we here? We're here to fix something that we messed up last time. But the way to fix something that you messed up last time is you have to be in the same situation, in the same place, and this time not fail. So the Chidot says that Moshe Rabbeinu was really a Gilgal of Hevel. And Kairach was a Gilgal of Cain. Now, what's the story of Hevel and Cain? Hevel brought a carbon, the smoke went up, Hashem accepted it. Cain brought a carbon, old vegetables, the smoke didn't go up, Hashem didn't accept it. Cain was jealous, oh, your carbon was accepted and mine wasn't. He got up and he killed his brother. What was the machlokas here? Korach said, right? You made yourself a Kohen. You made yourself the one that Hashem accepts your kabanos. No! Hashem accepts everybody. Us also. So it was the same jealousy. Aaron, you made Aaron the Kohen, that his, his carbon is accepted by Hashem, but if I bring up a carbon since I'm not a Kohen, it won't be. It's the exact same machlokas that went on between Cain and Hevel. What did, what did, what did Cain do? He killed Hevel. How do you know that it was in the same place? How do you know that he killed him in the same place, right? Now Hevel, again, Hevel and Cain and Moshe and Korach. So I'll tell you how we know. Fascinating. When he killed Cain, right? So it says that Hashem said, where is he? Right? And he said, I don't know. And then he says the following. But Yoma, Hashem says to Cain, Mo'asisa, what did you do? The, the, the voice of your brother's blood is calling me from the ground. Now you're going to be cursed from the land that opened its mouth. So where did this happen? Somewhere in the world where there's a mouth in the earth. A mouth that opens and closes. That's where it happened. Hashem said, you are cursed in the place right here where the ground opened up its mouth and swallowed your brother's blood. In this week's parasha, in Pasha's Korach, it says, Vatiftach ha'aretz espia. And the ground opened up its mouth and it swallowed Korach ma'adaso. But there's a Mishnah, girls, in Pirkei Avos, in the fifth parak that says that ten things were created by Hashemashos. One of them was Piaret, the mouth of the earth, was created right before Shabbos. But it doesn't say two mouths, it says one mouth. So we know from the Mishnah that there's only one mouth called the Piaret. But it's mentioned twice in the Torah. Once by Korach, that the earth opened up its mouth. And once by Cain and Hebel, that the earth opened up its mouth. Which means that it has to be the same mouth. Because God only created one mouth of the earth. So the place that his blood was absorbed 
when he killed his brother, is exactly the same place where Korach was swallowed up. So the Avera that Korach did was in the same place that the Avera that Cain did. Now, what's the punishment? What was Korach's punishment? He didn't go get swallowed all the way to Gehenna, but he got swallowed in the earth, and forever, right, the famous story in the Gemara where an Arab heard it, forever from that place on the earth, Korach says, Moshe Emes v'Teres Emes. Why not Hashem just kill him? He deserved the punishment to be killed. Why wasn't he just killed? Because, what does the Pasuk say? Hashem said, Moasi, so what did you do? Your brother's voice is calling to me from the ground. So what's the punishment? Now, you didn't correct it? Now your voice is going to be calling forever from the ground. Exactly, Mida, Mida. His call was calling me? Now I gave you a chance to fix it and you didn't fix it? The punishment is that Kairach's call forever will be calling from the ground. Same place, same Yitzhahara. What did Moshe Rabbeinu tell Kairach? What, what did Hevel tell Kayan over here? He said, we're back, to, we're back to what we were so many years ago. So I'll tell you what, we're going to do the same thing that happened last time. I'm going to bring a carbon, and you're going to bring a carbon. Just like Hevel brought a carbon, and Kayan will be. And we'll see which one Hashem accepts. Exactly the same medicine, exactly to what happened last time. They both brought carbonos. Hashem accepted Aaron's carbon, which was the Shliach of Moshe. And he didn't accept Korach's, and they all got swallowed up. The exact same place, the exact same Yitzhahara, the exact same situation. And he lost. He wasn't Masaki. And Yitzhahara was swallowed up, and he, he didn't fix. He came back to fix, and he didn't fix. So it's just a very interesting thing. We don't know who we're a Gilgal. We don't know exactly what's going on, but you see from here that Akash Baruch Hu has a Cheshven. Now, listen to the, how this affected Moshe Rabbeinu. So if you look at the end, and we'll finish with this, it's just, it's just very, very fascinating. If you look at the end of Bereshis, there's a passage that says, Vayiru Adam, God's children, which means angels saw daughters of the human, that they were very good. And they, and they chose who they wanted to. The Medrash says that it doesn't mean Benos Adam, daughters of humans, but it means the daughters of Adam. Adam had two daughters. One born with Heba, one born with Cain. Because otherwise they couldn't reproduce. Right, who did they marry? So Adam had a, um, Cain had a sister and Hevel had a sister. Now, what? Hevel had two sisters, Cain had one sister. Had one sister. So, so, that's how they reproduce. So now, the Malachim saw the Benois Adam. They saw Adam's daughter, or Adam's beautiful daughters. So they, they were called the Nephilim. They told Hashem that we want to go to this world. We don't want to be in Shemayim anymore. They were called the Nephilim. They fell out of Shemayim. They fell out of, out of heaven and they came to earth. And they saw these, these daughters of, of Adam. And they wanted to marry them. So they walked over to them and they said, We are angels. Now we're humans. We're in this world. And we want to marry you. We want to have children. And they said, Sure, you're going to marry us. You're angels. And the minute we, you get us pregnant, you're going to leave and go back to Shemayim. And we're going to be stuck on earth without any husbands. You want to marry us? This is the deal. So Medrash says this. The deal is you have to give us Hashem 70, the, the name of Hashem, the 72 letters, so that if you guys escape to Shemayim, we could follow you. Because if you know those letters, you could go to Shemayim. So they said, we're not marrying you unless you give us those, those, they gave these two girls the 72 letters of Hashem's name. But they didn't wait. They didn't, the world was terribly sinning at that time. They were doing terrible averis, as it says in the parasha, right? That Hashem didn't like what was going on, so they didn't wait. They right away said the 72 letters, and they escaped, and went to Shemayim, and then these Nephilim, which were many women, and that's where the Anak and the giants came, was because they were Malachim, the giants that came came from from these from these Nephilim. But anyway, they went up to Shemayim. This is the Medrash, I, I can read it to you from inside. So now they're up in Shemayim, and Hashem says to them, your time on this world... You didn't finish your time on this world. You gotta go back to this world. At what time was that? That was in the time of Mitzrayim. So Kushboku sends these two women back down to Shema, down, down to Mitzrayim as baby, as, as female babies. Who were they? Who were these two? Batya. She was called Batya because it wasn't Paro's real daughter. They found her and they said she's the daughter of God. She came from Shemayim. Right? So they called her Batya. And the other one was Tzipporah. Batya. Paro adopted, Tzipporah, Yisro adopted. He was the advisor of Paro. 
when he ran from Mitzrayim to Midian, he took his whole family, he took, he took her with him. Who did Moshe Rabbeinu marry? Zipporah. Who saved Moshe Rabbeinu? Batya. These were the two daughters of Adam. One married him, one saved him. Why? Because the whole, the whole importance of the world, that Hashem created the world, was for the Torah. So these two women, one saved him from the Yam, and Tzipporah saved him when the snake swallowed him because he didn't give bris to his two kids. Tzipporah saved his life. He was dying. The snake had him all the way up that, down to his thighs. He was swallowing him, and Tzipporah did a bris, and she saved him. So Tzipporah saved his life, and Batya saved his life. And the, the reason the world was created was for the Torah. Moshe brought down the Torah. So there were the Benois Adam ended up the reason that Adam was created was for this world to bring the Torah. They ended up saving Moshe Rabbeinu who brought the Torah. God, you just you just see how God runs how, how God runs the world. But listen to what Kairach did. Kairach said, "Hold on a second. I'm Kain. Moshe Rabbeinu is Hevel. I killed Hevel. Now the halacha is if a man doesn't have children, right?" His brother is Chayav and Yibum, has to, ma- has to marry that, and he dies. He has to marry that wife, so that when he has children with that wife, it's like his brother had children. That's Yibum, right? So, so Karach said, one second, Hevel's dead, then I, right, with, then Tzipora, who's the, the sister, who was, who was married to Hevel, right? She's Chayav and Yibum to me. She has to marry me. Because Hevel had no children, I'm the brother. Right? I'm Korach, I'm Kayin, just to marry me. And the halacha is that that woman who's Chayv and Yibum, she's not allowed to be with anyone else until there's Yibum or Chalitza. Sort of like an Eshazir, sort of. So Moshe Rabbeinu, where do you have a right to marry Tzipora? She's Chayv and Yibum, Korach said, to me. So you are with an Eshazir, sort of. Yibum. And that, it's totally stupid. It makes absolutely no sense. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Korach said this in public. He said, what are you, what are you talking about? Number one, Halacha is that there's no yibum if you kill your brother. Let's say you have, a, you have a brother, you like his wife, right? You like his wife, so you kill him, and now she has to marry you. No, halacha is, if you kill that brother, there's no chiv and yibum. Number one. Number two, Moshe Rabbeinu said, one second. The whole reason you're saying that there's yibum is because you're Kayan and I'm Hevel. But if I'm Hevel, she's really my wife. What are you talking about? If I'm Hevel, Tzipporah was my wife. So, it's nonsense. What are you talking about? But, right away, out of the base medrash, the word went out, Moshabeinu, he's married to someone illegal. And that became Eshazish. And all of a sudden, all the women, the minute he walked by, would go into their, into their, could you imagine? That's the power, ladies, of Lush and Hara. It's a crazy power of Lush and Hara. How careful, you can say something as a joke, and then someone's going to walk out with that joke, right? And, and it's going to make it real. The crazy power of Lashon Hara we see in this week's parasha and we see that God has no pity because God doesn't kill little children because of what their parents do. But over here, all the children, all the babies were swallowed up into the earth with Korach. His animals, his clothing, his material, his, his money, everything that had anything to do with Korach was destroyed. Anything that has to do with a person who is full of Lashon Hara, Baruch will will decimate. A person has to be so careful when it comes to Shmir's Halashim. So I gave a shit today, we'll end with this, I gave a shit today to ladies, and we're, we're going into the summer, I don't know how many of you are going to be here, how many of you are going to the country, but there's, there's something that I share with them that I think is very, very important. For some reason, in the summer, we're loose. It's like, it's warm, it's like, I don't want to work so hard, um, we're happier, there's a lot of sunlight, the days are longer, so people are a little bit more bouncy, they're a little bit more happy, but there's a certain hefkeris, a certain like freedom, stuff that we're careful about during the year, right, I always say that's why Elul and Rosh Hashanah comes right after the summer, it's like the best time for Elul and Rosh Hashanah, because everything that went on in the summer, but I have, to t- I, have to, I have to tell all of you something, it's very important that I heard that's really fascinating, for a woman, she has to be much more, she has to pray much more in the summer, she has to learn much more in the summer than she does in the winter and she has to be much more careful in keeping halacha these two months than she has a whole year round Rabbi, well, you're picking on us, why? the answer is very simple the reason that everyone in this room doesn't have to keep 613 mitzvahs right, the reason you don't put on tefillin 
is that a mitzvah has man grama. In other words, there are certain mitzvahs that have to be from a certain time. Hashem said, women, I can't do that. I can't say, you have to say Kriyashma by 9.17. Why? Because you're cooking, and you're cleaning, and you're putting, you're making the kids lunch, and you're putting them on the bus, and you're, and you're taking care of the family. So Hashem said, any mitzvah that has a set time, women are free not to do it. Why? Because they're busy. So I can't ask them, right, to be busy with me when they're busy with what they're supposed to be doing. So a mitzvah shaz my grandma, you're all free of doing. Now comes summer, and you're not busy, and the kids are in camp, and you're not in school, and you have more time. Now Hashem looks at what you do. If in the summer you dive in more than you did in the winter, and you keep the halachas more, and you start reading books a lesson a day and this and a lesson a day and that, and whatever you're learning, and you learn more. So Hashem sees, yes, this woman, the only reason she doesn't dive in three times a day, the only reason she doesn't learn, the only reason she doesn't have time to be very strict in what she does, is because of the reason that I let her get away with it, is because she's busy with everybody else. So I see when she's not busy with everyone else, the two months in the summer, she taka learns. And she's talking more, more tzniyas. And she's talking more busy getting close to me. And she's, but if in the summer she's doing less, that means that if she had all the time those other ten months, she still wouldn't be davening to me. She still wouldn't be doing all these mitzvahs. So the reason that those ten months she's not doing these mitzvahs is not because she's busy. It's because she doesn't want to do them. Because now I gave her two months vacation and she's not busy and she's still not doing them. Okay. What a judgment. But if in those two months, you dive in more, and you learn more, and you grow more, then you're showing Hashem, really? If I had those other ten months, I'd be flying. The reason I can't is the reason Shaz my grandma, because, because I'm busy with other things. So these two months for a woman shows Hashem really what the other ten months are all about. So the person who dives more in the summer is talking, you know what? She, does, she dives less in the winter because she can't. But you see everybody when she has a chance, look, look, look how much she dominates to me. But if she doesn't dominate in the summer, and just, just the opposite, in the summer she's, she's at the pool all day, and she's hanging out all day, and she's not doing anything, so it's not because she's busy that she doesn't serve me, or that she's not connected to me, or she doesn't do the mitzvahs. It's because she doesn't want to do it. So that gives a very harsh judgment on your other ten months. So a woman has to be more careful in the summer than she is in the winter. A woman has to daven more, she has to learn more, and she has to work on her, her relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu more in the summer, because in the summer, she's not so busy as she is the whole year round. My bracha to everyone here is, you should have a happy and a healthy summer, and Bezrat Hashem, the three boys who are captives, and I'm not going to give a reason, I hear people giving reasons, you can't give a reason, but I can just tell you one thing, this is not the reason, but... When you want to know why Hashem does things, you just have to study. What's going on in Kleisvah right, right now for these three boys? Crazy achdus. Crazy achdus. From, not from Chesidish, Tzvahad, Ashkenaz. It doesn't matter who you are. There are three Jewish boys that were kidnapped. Every Jew is praying to God to save them. Why do we need to wait for something like this to happen to put us all together? Hashem doesn't want to have to have, we should not have these situations for all of us now we're in a situation where everyone in class doesn't matter who you are, religious, not religious, Israeli, American Russian, Persian, it doesn't matter who you are woman, man, doesn't yeshiva, not yeshiva where you are, everyone's dominating for them everyone's lighting the candles, everybody's saying to Hillam yesterday at 4.20, at 2.20, whenever it was I got a call, you have to say to Hillam right now all of a sudden, we're all together why, why do we have to wait for these situations? we have to be all together clapping together with any of these situations and then then these situations won't happen anymore mm-hmm. Hashem wants his kids to get along the most aggravating thing for a parent is to have their ten children at the table fighting with each other we'd rather not be at the table any parent that's in this room knows if you're at the Shabbos table and everyone's fighting with each other you're going to get up and go to your room like I, I, what do I need to be here for we don't want our children fighting with each other. It's the most aggravating thing in the world to see my own children not getting along with each other. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to see his children all sitting at the same table. This functional, functional, from, not from, it doesn't make a difference. They're all his children. They all have a neshama that's part of him. 
so we don't have to wait for tragedies to happen to put us all together. Just the opposite. We, 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 the, just the way, the same way tragedies put the Jews together, Simchas put the, the Jews together. We should all be zeichah that Mashiach, not three kids that are missing, but Mashiach should put us all together. Thank you. Have a good You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.